what was this great cloud of witnesses that the author of the book of Hebrews was talking about? If you look back just one chapter earlier than chapter 12, if you look back at chapter 11, you'll see that he gives a cataloging of many of the saints of the scriptures, especially of the Old Testament. Sometimes this uh, collection is called the Hall of Faith. These are often called the heroes of faith. And all of them qualify as Old Testament or in a few cases New Testament saints. But not all of them were very saintly, and certainly not by the normal definition of the word saintly. But they were saints nevertheless. Let's take a look at this list. There's Abel and Enoch, Noah and Abraham, Sarah, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Moses' parents, Moses himself, the people of Israel as they passed through the Red Sea, Joshua who led them through the Jordan and around Jericho, Rahab, Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and the prophets like Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Amos, Hosea, Micah, Malachi. He doesn't stop there. He goes on to talk about those who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, obtained promises, shut the mouths of lions, quenched raging fire, escaped the edge of the sword, won strength out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received their dead by resurrection. Others were tortured, refusing to accept release in order to obtain a better resurrection. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned to death. They were sawn in two. They were killed by the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, persecuted, tormented, of whom the world is not worthy. They wandered in deserts and mountains and in caves and holes in the ground. This chapter gives us a list of saints. And, and, and many of these references, especially in this last section, were to Christians tortured in order to obtain a better resurrection, mocking, flogging, chains, and imprisonment they suffered for the gospel of Jesus Christ, stoned to death, sawn in two, killed by the sword, wearing animal skins, destitute, persecuted, and tormented, the early church. This describes how they suffered for the gospel of Jesus Christ. We don't normally think about saints in these terms. We don't normally think about saints as being tortured and destitute or even of the Old Testament characters as saints. We normally think about saints as walking about three feet off the ground so holy they never touch the ground. We think of saintly in that way. But in truth, saints are simply faithful people. Saints are people like you and people like me. The word saint, the biblical word that we usually translate as saint is the word agios. And it means literally something that has been dedicated to God, something that's been given over to God, something that has been set apart for God's use, something that has been set apart for God to take and to use set aside for God. And usually we would symbolize that 
by placing it on the altar. Anything that is placed on the altar has been set aside, set apart, commissioned for God and God's use. Commissioned or dedicated unto God. That's the use, that's the understanding, that's the meaning of holy or of saint that is applied to people throughout the New Testament. Paul calls people in his churches saints. Even though many of them definitely didn't act like saints, they were saints. And quite frankly, we don't act very saintly. And, and, and frankly, none of these people were perfect. The people in chapter 11 were people of faith, but they weren't perfect. And yet they're saints. They're part of the cloud of witnesses, but they're not perfect. Let's take a look at that list. Well, the first two, okay. Abel and Enoch. Enoch was so holy that he walked and talked with God and was not for God took him. Okay, I'll give you Enoch. But Noah got drunk. Having planted a vineyard after the flood, he got drunk. Well, look, after having taken care of all them animals on the ark, I'd get drunk too, friends. I'd like to know who had stable duty on the ark. I have enough trouble cleaning my cat's litter box. Try taking care of elephants, too. I would have built trap doors on the side of the ark and had all the elephants come around and do their business off the side. Now, okay. Abraham and Sarah. Abraham and Sarah complained. They argued with God. They didn't believe that God was going to give them the land or give them children like the stars up in the heaven and the sands by the seashore. So they conspired together to try to get God's will done for God by having a baby their own way with, with Sarah's handmaid, Hagar. And they caused all sorts of trouble throughout history doing that too. Hmm. Isaac. Isaac gave preferential treatment to one of his sons and got his wife so mad that he then resulted in Jacob being tempted, the next one on the list, to cheat and steal. And then he was sent away to cheat and steal his, uh, his uncle Laban. He was a thief and a cheat. Hmm. Joseph. Joseph was a spoiled brat. His brothers probably gave him what he deserved when they threw him in the pit and sold him into slavery in Egypt. He's a spoiled, rotten brat. Moses' parents, okay, they were good. They, they put him in the basket to save his life from Pharaoh. Okay, I'll give you them. But Moses, he said, God, don't send me. I stutter. I don't know how to speak. Don't send me. He murdered someone. Hmm. The people of Israel... Yes, they saw God's wonders when they passed through the Red Sea. And then they immediately made a golden calf and fell down and worshipped it because Moses took a little too long coming down from Mount Sinai. Joshua, yes, Joshua led them through the Jordan River and around Jericho and the walls came a-tumbling down. <laughs> but Rahab was a prostitute in Jericho. And she's on this list. Gideon, the next four are judges. Gideon, and we all know, well, never mind. And Gideon was a doubter. Samson had long hair, which would have gotten him in trouble with the staff parish committee. He had long hair, and they couldn't possibly pass the Lord ordained ministry with it, by the way, could he? Uh, he had long hair, and he hung around with a bunch of bimbos like Delilah. So no, 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 no. Jephthah sacrificed his own daughter to Yahweh. Ooh, that'll get you CPS on your case really quickly. 
Uh, David was the king of Israel, holy king of Israel. Yes, we conveniently forget about Bathsheba, that event. Hmm. Samuel was a holy prophet over Israel. Okay, I'll give him that. But some of these prophets, I don't know about some of these prophets. Jeremiah argued with God, cried and complained about it. Ezekiel was on pretty strange drugs, and he walked around naked for a while. Hosea married a prostitute. I mean, it goes on and on and on. This list of people, they're not very saintly, are they? Good. Because nevertheless, God was willing to use them. God was willing to work in their lives and through their lives, his wonders. God was willing to work through this bunch of failing people. And if God is willing to work through them, and if God is willing to identify them as saints, then God will work through us. God calls us saints. I give thanks and praise to God every time I come to the table of the Lord. Every time I come to Holy Communion. Because I don't come alone. I don't approach, I don't approach the throne of grace alone. I approach it in the company of pastors going back 2,000 years in the past across every denomination of the church back to Paul's day and the disciples themselves when they approached that Passover Seder meal with Jesus. I approach the table of the Lord not alone but with every pastor whoever prayed to the great thanksgiving. And when I stand behind the table, I'm not alone. Not only is Mark standing there, but I'm standing here with thousands upon thousands upon thousands of proclaimers of the gospel of Jesus Christ. All who ever lived and all who will be yet to come the table is not confined to this place. It extends in the past back 2,000 years to that first last supper, that Passover Seder. And it extends into the future until the end of time when this event called the marriage supper of the Lamb occurs and all Christians everywhere will gather around the table in eternity and partake of the feast of God's grace eternally. You see, I'm not standing here by myself today or with just Mark. Today I will be standing here with every Christian pastor who has ever presided at communion. Unworthy though I am, scoundrel like this group though I am at times, I am still called to be here. Likewise, when you come to this table, when you come to this altar, when you come and kneel and put out your hands and receive the bread and take the cup and drink and eat and receive the blessed grace, the real presence of Jesus, when you come and when you partake of Holy Communion, you are not taking alone. You are partaking within a great cloud of witnesses. The communion of the saints. All Christians 
for all time and space, all Christians past, present, and future. We are partaking together. You ever been in the middle of a cloud, a, a dense cloud, so thick that you can see it really close to you, but when you reach out to try to grab it, it, it just it gets away from you. You can't quite grasp it. You know it's there. You can feel it. You can smell it. You can feel it as the water condenses onto your face from it, but you can't quite grasp it. That's kind of what it's like to be in the great cloud of witnesses. And the one thing these witnesses had in chapter 11 of Hebrews... The one thing they had in common, and the one thing they have in common with us, is that we are witnesses of the grace, the glory, the love, and the power of God. We are witnesses to the gospel truth that Jesus Christ came into the world to proclaim. We are witnesses to the love of God, to the acceptance of God, to the forgiveness of God. To the calling of God to come and receive love without restriction. We are like them, witnesses to the creator of the universe and the relationship that God wants to have with us. We are part of a great cloud of witnesses, the great communion of the saints all those who've gone on to glory ahead of us. And when we partake, we are not partaking alone or just in this church or just in this denomination or just among Protestants or just among Western Catholics or just among Christians East and West that, have, that are living today. We are part and partaking of every single communion service. We are partaking with every single Christian who has ever partaken or who will ever partake. This is, this is kind of like mysticism written big for Methodists, this idea of the communion of the saints. We believe that when we come and when we partake, we are reconnected to Jesus Christ. The love of God flows into us and through us and out to others. The love of God comes into us to transform us. The presence of Jesus comes in to make us more like Christ. And we are connected together with each other. With the person kneeling next to you at the pew or in the, at the rail or sitting next to you in the pew. And with the people who have received here through these decades, members of this church across over 100 years or Christians across 2,000. There have been times when I have knelt in prayer to receive Holy Communion and I have been struck by the sense of immediate presence that I've had of Jesus and of dear Christian friends who have gone on to glory, family members, friends, fellow pastors who've gone on to glory. I've known that because of Christ Jesus, because of His love, because of His grace, and because of His presence, we part of the communion of the saints alive today, we are never far from that great cloud of witnesses that surrounds us and to which we can look for example and encouragement. 
as you come to the table of the Lord today, be open to the grace of God. Be open to the real presence of Jesus. Be open to the powerful love that God has for you. And be open to how when we receive together, we are connected with those who've gone on before us into glory everlasting, into the great, great cloud of witnesses. Be open to God's grace and allow the cloud of God's love to fill you anew. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed. By what we have done and by what we have left undone, we have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We are truly sorry and we humbly repent. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name. Amen. Almighty God, have mercy upon you. Forgive all your sins through our Lord Jesus Christ. Strengthen you in all goodness and by the power of the Holy Spirit. Keep you in eternal life. Amen. You may be seated. The Lord be with you. And also with you. Lift up your hearts. We lift them up to the Lord. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is right to give our thanks and praise. It is a right and a good and a joyful thing, always and everywhere, to give thanks to you, Almighty God, Creator of heaven and earth. God of Abraham and Sarah. God of Miriam and Moses. God of Joshua and Deborah. God of Ruth and David. God of the priests and the prophets. God of Mary and Joseph. God of Paul the Apostle and Stephen the Martyr. God of our mothers and fathers. God of our children to all generations. And so with your people on earth and all the company of heaven, we praise your name and join their unending hymn. Blessed is your Son, Jesus Christ. By the baptism of his suffering, death, and resurrection, you gave birth to your church, delivered us from slavery to sin and death, and made with us a new covenant by water and the Spirit. On the night in which he gave himself up for us, our Lord Jesus took bread, gave thanks to you, broke the bread, and gave it to his disciples, and said, Take, Take eat. eat. 
This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Likewise, when the supper was over, he took the cup, gave thanks to you, and gave it to his disciples, and said, Drink from this, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant, poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this as often as you drink it, in remembrance of me. And so in remembrance of these, your mighty acts in Jesus Christ, we offer ourselves in praise and thanksgiving as a holy and living sacrifice in union with Christ's offering for us as we proclaim the mystery of faith. your Holy Spirit on us gathered here and on these gifts of bread and wine. Make them be for us the body and blood of Christ, that we may be the world, the body of Christ, redeemed by his blood. Renew our communion with all your saints, especially with those whom we name before you now and in the silence of our hearts. Janice Currens. Bill Tom Knight. Bob Mills. Glenda Parks. Wanda Robnett. Jesse Short. J. W. Stodgner. Phyllis Talbot. Fred Tarpley.
Martha Walker. Since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, strengthen us to run with perseverance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. By your Spirit, make us one with Christ, one with each other, and one in ministry to all the world until Christ comes in final victory and we feast with all God's saints at the heavenly banquet. By, By Christ, Christ and with Christ, Christ and in Christ, Christ in the unity of the Holy Spirit, all honor and glory is yours, Almighty Father, now and forever. Savior Christ has taught us, let us pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. The Lord Jesus Christ was known to all in the breaking of the bread. And when we partake of the cup, we are reconnected to the cross of Jesus Christ and the sacrificial offering He made for us there. listening to a sermon by Dr. Gregory Neal, Senior Pastor of the First United Methodist Church in Commerce, Texas, and Rector of Grace Incarnate Ministries. Copyright 2014 by Dr. Gregory S. Neal. All rights reserved. For more information and for other sermons by Dr. Neal, visit us on the web at www.revneal.org. That's www.revneal.org. You are also invited to visit us in person at First United Methodist Church, 1709 Highway 24, Commerce, Texas, 75428. This program was produced by Dr. Greg Neal.